You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 209 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is filmmaker Paris Tune. Paris has earned accolades for his short films at film festivals. He's also worked on programs for the BBC, Channel 4, ITV and MTV. After spending four years traveling across five continents... In search of new experiences and projects, his journey took him into the Amazon rainforest. Currently, he is finishing a feature-length documentary to save the indigenous Shipibo people. And this film is called Onanya, which basically means Shipibo shaman. Living in the Amazon rainforest, the Shipibo culture is on the verge of extinction. Threatened by invasion and colonization, the Shipibo need a platform to share their story with the world. I want to play a bit of the trailer before I go into this talk with Paris. Some of it is in Spanish, some of it is in Shipibo, and some of it is in English. But no matter what language, I hope you still enjoy the trailer, <laughs> even though you can't see it. You can always look on the good old internet if you want to see it for yourself. Anyway, here's Paris Tume and uh, here's the film Onanya. Ahora voy a explicar la historia del pueblo Shipibo y sus plantas medicinales. Somos una cultura muy hermosa. So people have got a very rich culture. The people ready to to learn from. I think the plant world has so much to offer. ¿Cuáles son las plantas más importantes en Perú? Es la ayahuasca. La ayahuasca es una planta muy sagrada. La medicina se parte con la chamán. Condición de la ayahuasca se conecta para poder curar. You have to know and trust your shaman. La cultura shipibo va acabándose. Es muy importante de la cultura espío proteger esto. Tenemos que reorganizar para que nunca se acabe. Eso es lo que quiero compartir. So thanks for being on the podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Paris Tume and I'm a director um, and I'm making currently making a documentary called Onanya, 
which is a documentary uh, about the Shipibo community, uh, an indigenous community based in the Amazon basin of Peru. And how did you uh, come across this topic? Well, actually, um, my my journey with that was through ayahuasca. So I wanted to make a documentary about ayahuasca and the healing potential that it has to offer. And going to Peru and to the Amazon to experience ayahuasca and generate some research for my documentary, I've come across the Shipibo community and got to know about their story, about their history, and about their knowledge and traditions. And it really fascinated me as such a rich and beautiful culture. Uh, and then I realized that their culture is at, um, at the risk of being lost due to uh, migration into cities as they're forced out of the jungle. Their, their culture is being lost as the modern world uh, takes over the younger generations of you know media and television and clothing and music uh, they're losing their their traditions and their knowledge and now it's you know looking like in the next few generations their language could be completely gone and their clothing could be completely gone uh, some some of the shamans say in the next 20 years no one will be wearing their traditional clothing anymore um Which is which? That that topic to me really, really uh, struck a chord with me. I've always been fascinated with with uh, indigenous communities, and uh, which was part of the reason why I wanted to explore ayahuasca in the first place. And so to really get into deep into the knowledge of an indigenous community and get to know their history and get to understand who they really are and what they're about was then changed the whole concept of where I wanted to take this documentary uh, because when you look I believe when you look into these these topics you they're not really wanting to provide too much information because they want to keep their knowledge and their traditions close to their heart but I think the Shipibos are now realizing um, in order to survive they have to get their message out there to the world and they have to show people who they really are and what they're about so they can preserve and protect their culture I like the concept of this documentary because it shows more about the culture as well, not only the ayahuasca angle, which there are plenty of such documentaries out there. But I always say that uh, to talk about ayahuasca and the Shipibo is almost like if you would only talk about the Beatles and the song Let It Be and not mention all the other songs they also have that are great. So the Shipibo, they have, uh, I mean, ayahuasca is just one of many many plant medicines and also only one of many methods they they use yes exactly i mean um ayahuasca is just one of many medicinal plants that that the shipibos use um and the ayahuasca really is 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 almost just a medium to provide the shipibos to transmit the healing that they've received from other plants that they've dieted Uh, through their time so in order to become an Onanya which is a Shipibo shaman one of the Shipibo shamans they have to diet various plants for periods of up to uh, six months uh, sometimes even longer and they have to diet these plants without salt uh, without sugar um, without any spices without any 
meat and so they, they have to make this uh, dietary sacrifice in, and then diet with this one specific plant in order to receive their wisdom and they use the this inf, uh, this wisdom and this information uh, they transmit this through Icaros which are the songs of the plants which is a term that people have uh, have developed for for this and it's it's a it's a song that the Ananyas sing um, when they're delivering the wisdom and the healing of these plants to to the participants and the guests and so really they use, it's it's the wisdom of these other plants that are generating the healing and they're calling all, all of these other plants to to give that healing i do believe ayahuasca has a a, a real healing potential um but it's really what what the onanias are saying is that these the healing actually comes from comes from the other plants and so that that to me was also fascinating because I knew there was many medicinal plants, but uh, when they talk about dieting certain plants for so many months and the sacrifices they have to make and the wisdom that they'd receive from that, that that to me is yeah, you know, fascinating information that that really people need to to become aware of because ayahuasca now is just you know on the cusp of this global um, phenomenon that could you know could go one of two ways and and really we need to protect such a magical plant uh, from not being exploited and also begin to understand all the other all the other uh, ways of healing that these uh, these these indigenous communities can offer one of those big trees the people call it ayahuma and it's supposed to be one of the well, i think it's the master medicine plant uh, at least the one I talked to said it was the master plant and uh, to diet that tree uh, it, uh, it would take uh, two years of solitude so it was one of the most difficult ones to diet the Ayahuma yeah I, 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 I haven't heard of that one but there was one called uh, Noyarao which is um, to, 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 so the, let me backtrack so the Onanya is uh, a shaman who uses medicinal plants to heal uh, but there's also uh, someone that they call mariahs which are also uh, healers but they are great healers and in order to become a mariah you have to diet certain plants for three years just to be able to find a certain tree called noyarao in which you go on this mission to find it and some people have never returned from looking for this plant and then once you do find this plant you have to spend five years in solitude dieting this plant in the jungle uh, for up to three to five years depending on who you speak to um, and then once you find this plant and you diet it you can you become a mariah um, and the the shipibos talk about how um these mariahs could uh, travel through space. Uh, they could they could turn into uh, certain animals and fly away, and they could talk to spirit, talk to the spirits, and communicate. And when they were communicating with these people, if, for example, they was to ask about your mum, and she had passed away, when they when they speak when they were speaking about or speaking from the the mum, they would use the mother's voice. 
and these th- these people would be bewildered and flabbergasted that, that they're able to communicate through uh, these mariahs, but not only that, using their voices. Um, and to, but these these people don't exist anymore. Uh, they, no one has been able to find the Noyarau tree for for quite some years now. Um, and in fact, one of the shamans that I interviewed, his dad was a Mariah, and he was one of the last Mariahs uh, that have, have existed. Do you think that also could be a, a thing to just keep it uh, keep it a secret? Like, if you have to be a Shipibo in the inner circle, and then maybe uh, they they do exist still. Quite possibly, um, quite possibly, um, and, and maybe maybe they saw because what 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 they talk about with the um, in this documentary is about how uh, they can only see so far into the future of of what holds for the Shipibo people, these Ananyas that I'm filming. Um, and that in, in order for them to see further into the future or into the past, they they have to diet more plants. So they're basically saying that they, they need to diet more plants to, to gain more knowledge. So quite possibly these mariahs could exist and uh, may have seen the, the events that are unfolding with the exposure of ayahuasca and medicinal plants of the Amazon. And maybe you know, maybe they have kept this one back and said, you know, we need to protect, we need to protect the knowledge of the Mariah and the tree, because it is that sacred. It could be that, it could be quite possible. Maybe we will never know. <laughs> you translate Onanya into like shaman or healer, but what would you translate Mariah into? Um, they would say great healer. They uh, whenever they would whenever they would talk about uh, the Mariah, they would say Gran Mariah. Uh, which is great healer in in Spanish, uh, and so I I believe that it's it's just a great healer in that sense. This also makes me think about all those uh, Western ayahuasca circles you can sit in, and I would advise anybody if they sit in such a circle and the people who uh, facilitate this the circle, if they call themselves like. A, a sitter or a facilitator is fine, but if they call themselves shamans, you should turn around and run the other way because for me, like a, a shaman, like you describe, it takes years and, and you have to also, not only does it take years, but there is a big difference in growing up in a culture that have real shamans and then from that point you start training for years. And I'm a bit annoyed at these white western people who like i don't know they go down there for a few weeks and then come back and then they turn into these shamans some haven't even been there you know <laughs> yeah exactly and you know some people do some people do drink ayahuasca twice and then develop this delusion that they are uh, or they should become a shaman and then go off and start making their own uh, retreat ceremonies without actually understanding the consequences that they could, that could unfold. And, you know, some people that go to these places are seriously ill. Some people are suicidal. Some people could be psychotic. Some people could be taking certain medications, which uh, could potentially kill them if they drink ayahuasca. And these things you really need to learn and understand before you even go and offer this to any 
anyone because you could be putting someone's life at great risk or other people's life at great risk uh, by offering these retreat centres without actually knowing what you're doing. Um, and that's really, you know, really it, that was what my first angle of the documentary was about, was to start to this, this create conversation about regulation and protect these shamans and protect this medicine um, and give them the tools and the ability to train people correctly and administer these people correctly in the right places. So as people do start to want to learn about this medicine and start to drink this medicine, they're in the right hands because like anything that's illegal and in the black market, you, you put it in the hands of the wrong person and it can go horribly wrong. And, you know, um, it's I think it's time that we start to really ask these people to teach us the knowledge and and, and allow people to actually learn these these methods in order to become to become true healers um because it's it's it's, it's quite a difficult uh, time because ayahuasca is expanding to the world and it's almost like you, you can't stop it uh you can't stop it from expanding because people are so curious about it people want to offer this to people because it's such an amazing healing tool but it's like um it's like it's like taking taking the fire from the gods and chucking it into a pit without actually knowing what the fire does because um you know cultivating this fire uh is is going to be is going to be the issue of, of trying to make it make sure that it is in the right place and with the right people um you know as you say people have been around this medicine for hundreds if not thousands of years and learned through various various plants and now um these people are just drinking a, a, a cup of ayahuasca i think they know what they're doing and going off and doing ceremonies and they're not actually learning about how these shamans are actually healing and if you ask them they're healing through the ikaros through other other plants that they've dieted so just administering ayahuasca to people is not really it's not really the right solution or equally though you know I'm, I'm very interested in what science has to offer now with 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 the question of uh, psychedelics and, and such as ayahuasca and the opportunity of psychotherapy um, and I do believe that that's as the west tries to embrace this this medicine I think that's the, the route that we need to take is putting Putting, if it's going to come to Europe, which it already has, we need to put it into the hands of the right people who are psychotherapists um, and counsellors that can provide therapy for people whilst they drink this medicine. Um, and but even, even that, I personally think that that should be administered by Indigenous people uh, organizations um, such as the Shipibos, they, sh they should be providing training for these therapists to offer out to people, offering them medicinal uh, or plant diets to, to drink to, in order to offer a better, um, offer better healing for, for these people. Also, if you would go to a, a therapist for the purpose of integration after a ceremony, 
I mean, I, I wouldn't class a therapist that hasn't done ayahuasca themselves valid. No, not at all. Um, you have to, you you have to have drank ayahuasca to experience what what it's all about. Um, reading it from a book or or watching a video is is not going to do it any justice. It's uh, it's almost uh, indescribable putting it into words. Uh, fouls the beauty of the medicine, and so definitely um, therapists need to have drank the medicine beforehand in order to to offer some form of integration. Um, and I do believe that integration is a is a very highly important part of the healing process. Uh, I believe that most of the healing comes from not from the ceremonies itself, but the six month period after where you've been provided with this information, you've been provided with this feeling of indescribable love and oneness. And then you've got to take it back to the real world. And that's, and I believe that's where the healing begins in, in the integration. Every time that I've drank um, ayahuasca and come back into the real world, I've been very in tune with tests that have come into my to my world, into my existence, and I have to face these these tests that I believe are, are my tests of integration to learn what I've learned and put it back into the real world. Because I remember before I drank ayahuasca, it was way back in two, 2010, so almost eight, nine years ago, um, I read all I could read about it, and uh, well, reading about it was the reason I wanted to try it, and I fixated in my reading on these beings you could meet. And so that was all I was thinking about. Oh, it would be cool to, to see other beings. And then when I actually began drinking it, because uh, I did uh, five ceremonies in a week, uh, you know, not long into those ceremonies, those beings were like the least interesting thing of the whole experience. And... Uh, and uh, the the thing I wanted to see uh, from reading about it before became irrelevant when I actually was doing it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I have two, you know, I've read, read all I could read and and so on. And I when I when I went into the experience, I had this full perception that it was probably going to be something similar to smoking DMT. And it's completely different um, when you talk about these beings and and animals that come. I, I saw a lot of that visually. I saw a lot of that with DMT, um, but with ayahuasca, for me, it was it was it was more about the feeling. It was about energy and about love, um, and just feeling th- this this magnificent feeling or going through some. <laughs> undescribable hell um i've had the best experiences of my life and the worst experiences of my life um in those four or five hours that you're in in that ceremony um and it's just it's just it's just an amazing an amazing life-changing experience like one thing that i always think about with the uh with the shamans that i made a documentary about is whether they know how how much of an impact they make on so many people's lives. These people, you know, every, every person that drinks ayahuasca is going to create some life-changing experience for them, uh, whether they're aware of it or not. It's going to, it's going to change their life in some way. 
Um, and these, these people do this on a week, week by week basis. <laughs> it's magnificent. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, as, as I said, it's, it's quite hard to describe your, your experiences. But as you say, it's really, for me, the, the visual concept of ayahuasca, it was after the after the first few ceremonies it didn't really do anything for me it was more about you know really getting deep into that subconscious and, ta- and tackling the uh, the demons sometimes when you drink it can be completely visionless it's just like uh, you're almost in a therapist chair and you're regressing your whole life and just having memories and that's all there is and uh, and sometimes it could be 100% only visionary and very colorful and that, but uh, it's very strange how... And from the same batch, because I always keep a track on where, where it comes from, which bottle, because... Uh, and it always amazes me how the same bottle can produce such different experiences. Like it almost knows. Uh, it has like a, an agenda, a theme, an arc for your well how many ceremonies you're supposed to do well yeah it's quite it's quite interesting because i i I had to kept kept track because i I found this very interesting pattern that was existing when i when i when i was drinking and it was like one ceremony was uh very visual the next ceremony hardly any visions would come in at all and that kept happening um apart from a few anomalies it was really that, that that sort of correlation and so i found it that it for me personally I, I i believe that that was a lesson of uh expectation at the beginning and then it became a lesson of uh over overthinking and and creating um concepts for you in mind essentially because i was the with the visuals i was very easily able to go into the process and go with it i'm a very visual person and the that really helped me get into a process but when the visions weren't there i very quickly turned on the monkey mind and the neurotic mind um and as i said at the beginning it was expectations like come on where's those visions oh it must not be working then you begin to learn okay no that's not what it's about your intention was this let's concentrate really concentrate on your process and just keep focusing on that and then once you once you're laying there in complete darkness, you then start to get pieces of information that come in, and and then you can really start to uh, tune into that process. Um, but it took a, it took a lot of time with those uh, with those ceremonies without visuals to um, to learn to beat away the neurotic monkey mind that exists within within all of us. Um, so you know then them experiences are just as valuable as ones that are highly visual um, and a lot of people when they first drink ayahuasca if they don't if they don't diet properly um, their their first few experiences could be purging and 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 that's it and I've met encountered quite a few people where they'll come for a, a, a week retreat which involves free ceremonies and they don't really respect um, the diet or the the, the pre build up to drinking ayahuasca, and so their their experience is just literally vomit toilet vomit toilet no visuals and they get very frustrated and fed up because it 
doesn't match their expectations, but they haven't followed through with the, you know, with with the process that you're meant to you meant to go through before before you even drink the ayahuasca. I've been down there three times in the last eight nine years, and the first time I can't say because I wasn't aware, but the other two times I, for me the, I mean I I start to get visuals and things happening. The moment I make the conscious decision to go, like the moment I know that, okay, now it's for sure I'm going and I'm going on this date, that's when it begins uh, for me and I'm starting to have weird dreams and things happening. It's hard to explain, but that's when it starts. And then when you actually drink, that's just the main event, but it starts right when I decide to now I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I, as I mentioned in this documentary, I'm really um, tuning into the other uh, plants that they diet, and with that comes the dieting process uh, for them, and what they do, uh, such as no salt, no sugar, no spices, and things like that. It, it's it keeps playing back into my mind that it's all about the diet. It's all about the diet. And I'm now thinking that this, this, in order for me to, you know, become more intuitive and tap into, tap into Mother Ayahuasca or the higher consciousness um, and receive information, I do believe that it's um, quite key to just diet and not have uh, so many chemicals in your body, don't have so much sugar in your body, um, and really, you know create create a temple out of your body and i do believe that that will um that in itself will give you give you the energy uh and information that you that you're looking for sometimes as well as as well as meditation um i might do the ayahuasca diet for a couple of weeks now after christmas because i am a complete uh, physical wreck after all the huge intake of sugar i've experienced in the past few weeks yeah, I um, I I too am <laughs> thinking the same thing. Um, I I I actually decided Christmas would be a time to indulge, uh, just for just for a couple of weeks because I I just went through a uh, microdose study with the Beckley Foundation, um, and so I have been dieting for that um, because I just really wanted to follow the the uh process to give the most accurate information so what coming off that i thought okay let's just let's just let go a little bit let's have a let's have a let's have quite a few sweets and <laughs> we'll eat a bit of meat normally i'm vegetarian but i thought we'll, we'll have some meat just to just to treat yourself over the year um but now after doing all that i'm definitely thinking in the new year i'm going i'm gonna do the ayahuasca diet as well or it's, it's very hard in england um to actually you know do that with with the with the sugar when you really look on packaging of sugar it's really hard to eat without sugar um but to minimize it as much as possible is going to be my key and focus Uh, i've noticed that uh that but by not eating so much sugar and doing a, a there's a there's a fast called intermittent fast um which is where you 
uh, fast for 16 hours of the day and eat for only eight hours of the day. Um, and there's lots of research now that shows the, the benefits that has on the body as well. Um, it basically within those 16 hours, you, it repairs, uh, the m- molecules in your body that you break down when, when you eat. Um, and I've noticed some amazing benefits just, just by doing that. I've completely energized in the morning uh, and throughout the whole day. Uh, so that plus the plus the no sugar and minimal salt, um, I think is definitely going to be the the way forward for the new year. <laughs> I uh, a year ago I got some LSD only for uh, scientific purposes because it was the only psychedelic I hadn't really tried, and I just wanted to try it because it's so famous and because of the uh, the 60s and that I just wanted to see what it was, and I didn't really appreciate it that much, and I just felt it, it wasn't my kind of thing. But I still have one, one left, and uh, I, I was planning to, uh, I was going to microdose it because I thought maybe I can y- use use it for that purpose instead. So, uh, any suggest? It's, it's like a sugar cube. Any suggestions if you have experience with microdosing? Um, so the way that I did it, um, and the way that I've read into it is so you break it down into. Have, uh, do you know have you tried this LSD before um, have you had experience specifically with that batch yes uh, yeah I did uh, did it and was it was it particularly strong batch or well I haven't th- ever done LSD before so I don't know if it was strong but it, it lasted for like uh, 12 hours and it was I guess it was strong yeah okay well well as as as, as you've never really done LSD before anyway I w- they, they say to break, cut it up into 10 to 20 uh, pieces, uh, depending on the level of potency. Uh, what I did is I cut it up into 15 uh, pieces. Uh, it's quite easy to do five columns, three rows uh, with a with a square piece of paper. Um, but just to split it into uh, roughly 15, uh, 15 parts and then... Uh, take it one uh, on on the first day. Take it and then leave yourself three days and then take it again and repeat this process um, f- until 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 you run out basically. Um, and that that's basically what I've read is the is the recommended way to to microdose. Uh, some people do just leave themselves two days, but um, I leave myself three days and. You basically basically can still feel the if uh, I I personally feel like I can feel the effects um, within those days as well. Um, and what that does is it stops you from building up too much of a tolerance as well um, when you're microdosing. Um, but I I would recommend I would recommend uh, microdosing. It's, it's it's a very interesting topic um, uh, emerging from the psychedelic world. There, there's research finally coming through about the about the potential benefits and they're now doing studies to see um if it does actually improve your cognitive uh abilities um so it's yeah it's, it's quite an exciting time um in terms of the psychedelic world to see what see what what potentials are out there really well mine is a sugar cube so i, I have to dissolve it in water but I'm, 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 it's hard to know the quantity of water mm, yes i wouldn't know myself actually um unfortunately um i don't really know about that i, I only i've only used uh 
blotch paper. Um, but potentially you could just uh, break up break up the cube um, into and split it into fifteen parts that way. Um, but I'm not too sure. There'll be there'll be some information on the internet regarding sugar cubes. Um, so possibly looking into that. So this documentary you're making, I noticed that uh, one of the shamans that initiated me into ayahuasca the first time I did it and also the second time I went down the third time she wasn't around is uh, Rosa and uh, I always consider her my spiritual mother and she is a wonderful uh, 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 shaman and uh, her also her Icaros are amazing I have some recordings as well that I often listen to um, so uh, did you sit in ceremony with Rosa? Yes, yes. So the documentary is about uh, Mama Rosa's family. So uh, the Marquez Pinedo family, uh, they live in Pucallpa, Peru, and they now run a retreat center called Pachamama Temple. And Mama Rosa is the mother of uh, three, four children, but three of them are shamans. Um, and they all perform ceremonies together and Yes, she is such an amazing woman. She's uh, um, she's just got so much joy and love around her, and she she, she passes that on to her family, and she radiates that out to to anyone that encounters her. Um, everyone that <laughs> visits uh, Pachamama come away saying the exact same thing that you've just said that they're, they're a spiritual mother. She they always want her to to heal them for for as long as that as long as she's around they want to use her as as their shaman um because she just has has something about her and um I, talking to the her sons uh she went through an amazing journey uh she she became a shaman because she wanted to find out how her husband was killed and she went and through when he died she uh stopped doing well, she didn't stop doing it, but she stopped um, selling her designs and ceramics, which is a very traditional way for Shipibo women to earn a living. Uh, she stopped doing that, and she learned the ways of the shaman. And because of that journey, she became one of the most recognized um, female shamans in, in all of Peru. Um, and she did spend a lot of time at the Temple of the Way of Light. Um and then uh, she met a guy called Dominic Janus, who they now run Pachamama Temple together. He wanted to give her, after after um, going to the uh, Temple of the Way of Light himself and meeting Mama Rosa and receiving her healings, he wanted to uh, give something to her so she could spend more time with her family. So they created this uh, retreat center um, in order for her to be around her family more and allow her sons to practice with her um so it's quite a beautiful story that they're all together and delivering this practice together i remember one of my first and most difficult ayahuasca ceremonies when i was basically going through hell itself when she came to my bed in order to sing as normal uh, she i don't know how she knew but she just knew so she just because they don't normally touch you when they sit and sing but in this case she just grabbed my head and put put it in her lap, and she just held her fingers all over my head, um, and 
And the moment she did that, this hell world I was in just vanished and everything became organized because it was all chaos and everything became organized. And I don't know what she did, but it was a very powerful moment in uh, in in one of the most intense ceremonies I've ever had. Yeah, they 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 do things that sometimes you just uh, just are amazing. I, I can't really describe. I'm I'm recollecting some of my memories, and I, and I, and again, I can't describe what they're doing. Um, and at the time, I I would question why why are you doing this? Uh, so normally these these things happen when when they're at the most intense and normally quite quite uh, difficult experiences for me personally um but but some one one shaman for example instead of giving me an ikaro he just placed his hands on my head and said a prayer which is what it sounded like he was he was uh whispering whispering something um into my head and applying minor amounts of pressure um each hand certain times and then all of a sudden just started shaking his hands uh and I was like, "What are you doing? What, what's going on?" Uh, very confused and bewildered. <laughs> Why is this not a traditional wicker? <laughs> and uh, and as he was doing that, it was just like, "Wow!" Something, something changed in my brain. It was like it was like it was rewiring the circuits in my brain or something. And after that, everything felt so much better uh, and felt great. And there's been times where um, I've sat in ceremony purging my life away um just constantly 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 purging and i remember this uh this uh shaman who's called uh, maestro hoy he's got this particular style of singing nicaros and the shamans nickname him the uh techno cumbia <laughs> shaman because he he has a way of singing the nicaros which is like it sounds like a train like a like it does sound like a techno beat but it sounds like a train coming like do do shamone, do do shamone, and it's and it just keeps going and going and going. And I I could feel as he's singing these ikaros, it was the, the purge was coming and coming and coming. And he he just kept kept going with this repetitive uh, chant, and I could I could feel that he was using this ikaro to push up all of this negative energy that I was storing. Um, and releasing it through the purging um, and sometimes you know when you're really in tune with the Icaro you can really feel what they're doing it's quite um, quite an amazing quite an amazing uh, experience sometimes when you're going through those Icaros it could be some of the most pa- powerful and beautiful um, experiences and it's interesting because you know when you're purging you can kind of sense or see what's coming out and uh, I remember one time there was seven ceremonies, that, and in the, in like the fifth ceremony, I I I could see and feel how I purged out the last bit of uh, garbage I had. There was nothing left; uh, it, it was gone. I was clean, and I didn't purge anymore after that. Like it, there was no need to, you know. I, I I can't explain it. it. This is the thing with those ceremonies. Is uh, I mean, uh, it sounds mumbo jumbo un- unless you're there yourself and you realize it's not. Yeah, I mean, from what I gather from um, purging, from my experience and from what I've 
heard from other people when they talk about purging is, is at the beginning, a lot of it is uh, toxins in your body that ayahuasca is cleaning your body initially. Um, and it's letting go of all of the, or releasing all of the toxins out of your body. Um, and then after that, after that first stage, you can get to a, this next stage of purging, which, um, which can be like like dark energy negative energy or something negative stored um in your body from an experience and as you're revisiting this experience uh the purging then is is almost like a a spiritual one and it's releasing this negative energy from your body through the form of purging um like sometimes i could be in a ceremony and I'm working on something and it's like I know that in order for me to get over this uh, negative experience I, I need to purge and so I just go and then once it's done I feel like something has just been removed from my um, from me like I've, like I've been was wearing a really thick heavy coat it's now been released um, and uh, that metaphor really is that, that on an energetic level you just feel so much lighter so much happier and I sometimes you know you, you can just feel right that was that was that was what you needed to release and let go of uh, and then there's sometimes you know I, as I said I, I worked a lot on my overthinking and uh, with anxiety and things like that um, and that that is a, a, a much deeper process it's a part of my core conditioning um so really that's just chipping away at a big block and that's where when i talk about the icara of jorge um and i'll just go in and purging all night non-stop constantly constantly um i must have asked the right question <laughs> or you know tapped into the right source of healing um because that night i was just non-stop like I, my body was clean I've been drinking ayahuasca for a number of weeks at that point um and I've been on the diet for um well over a month um prior to that and and this night just I, I actually I, I just remembered I actually spent three ceremonies wanting to release something and I couldn't um and I was feeling very frustrated I was like I just want to purge I just want to purge and I know I need to I need to release this and then that ceremony came and it was just like <laughs> the whole ceremony three hours non-stop of just purging um and it's yeah it's fascinating because i know you know really really there was nothing there um in terms of bodily toxins to to release in that sense so it must have been this energetic blockage that was coming out have you ever felt when you've been purging that you're almost uh hanging uh, uh, hanging on the edge of the bowl and like like you're almost hanging off it like it's uh it's hard to explain but you know you're holding the bowl like you're almost hanging off it like it's so big i, I the first the first time i ever purged uh i you know you was talking about visuals i had a very visual it was the first first ceremony i ever did um and i had a very visual experience where i could I had my eyes open and I could put my arms through each other, even though I know that I was just uh, just pushing them, uh, brushing them aside from each other. 
visually it looked like I was putting my arms through each other it was very trippy and and I was trying to blow my nose and the paper was very confusing I could I couldn't figure out how to pull the paper off because it was already detached and I was like what's going on and then I remember I had to purge and as I was sick I remember I was being sick and the sick was when I was looking into the bowl it was like I was looking out into space and it was the stars and the purge the sick was becoming swirls and it was disappearing into the atmosphere and becoming part of the stars and I was like what is this about um, and that was one of the most memorable purges I had. Um, there's been times where I felt su- in such a bad way that I'm almost leaning on the bowl and my head's about to fall into the sick that's already there because it's completely draining you, completely drains you. And you're, you've got no energy to get up. And you're like, I need, to, I need to move from this, but I can't. <laughs> So yeah, it's quite. Um, some, sometimes that, uh, that 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 little plastic bowl that you put your head around can be uh, can be a real lifesaver sometimes. I always keep a bottle of water by the bed because after I perch, I I like to uh, wash my face. Uh, it just feels nice to clean your face. And uh, one time I was uh, laying in my on my mattress and. Uh, I was surrounded by beings. I didn't really look at them. They were, I was just surrounded by... I've done many ceremonies at this point, so I wasn't really concerned about who they were or what they were doing, but they were just around my bed. And uh, I couldn't find my water bottle, and I noticed it was behind some of them. And I was like, oh, sorry, can you move? I can't reach my water bottle. And they moved. Stuff like that, because, you know, people can say it's from your mind or it's hallucination or whatever, but they seem, it's so often it, they seem independent of me, you know. It, it's very easy to call it hallucination if you haven't done it, but when you're in it, you're like, this is clearly not hallucination. It, it's not physically here, but it's something somewhere, because also sometimes I've seen a creature walk towards me, I look away and I look back and it's closer. Like it traveled the distance. It would be illogical for a hallucination to continue walking when I'm not looking, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one, so, so an experience I had um, when I was drinking was, it was for a, a, like three ceremonies, I think. Um, there was these black entities in the room these very dark spirits that were just standing over my bed watching me watching other people um and the first time it happened i was i was very scared i could tell these weren't these weren't nice uh, spirits um and i also heard an ikaro being sung from outside of the ceremony um so where the maloka is the maloka is the the hut where people drink the ceremonial sacred space um this 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 ikaro clearly was another voice other than it was mama rosa who was singing uh, i distinctly remember it she was singing an ikaro to a person and i could hear another ikaro being sung uh outside of maloka in a completely different space uh different voice and when i questioned um 
when I questioned the shamans the following day and I asked what that was, they said that they were yobis, which are another um, they're another type of uh, shaman in the in the Shipibo community, which practice the dark arts, the black the black magic, um, and they use ayahuasca to hurt people. Um, and part of my documentary is to raise light on, on these people as well, because uh, what I want my documentary to be about is to, to show what a good shaman is and what a bad shaman is, uh, because they do really they really do exist in this world. Um, and there's a, I, I, I believe there's a lot of them about um, in Peru and offering ceremonies and they can take your energy. They can give you uh black energy negative energy um and you can go away with this bad bad energy inside of you um and one of as i said these free ceremonies uh i could see these spirits attacking everyone in the maloka everyone everyone had a very challenging time during them uh ceremonies particularly the shamans they they started attacking the guests and then they started attacking the shamans um and they picked this time specifically because half of the family uh, were away and they must have known that they weren't going to be there um, and they come and that they were a weakened group at that point um, and they started picking them off. Um, and so people could say this is in your mind. People could say it's, you know, um, it's hallucinations, it's all in your mind. But when, when, you know, multiple people saw the exact same thing you did, and these shamans are explaining uh, what you saw without the need of explanation, uh, then, then there's clearly something else. Um, there's clearly something else there. Uh, I, I couldn't, I, you know, I don't have the knowledge uh, myself to explain it. I don't, I'm not that well informed on how Ananyas are able to travel and uh, to, 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 create bad experiences for people in, in different parts of of the world um but i've experienced it and not only i experienced it but other people experienced it with me close people friends that you know i know that they weren't lying or just you know uh or saying this because i was talking talking about it they they, they experienced it as well so it's it, it's very uh very interesting um, and something that I would like to know more on is how how these because there's, there's this there's this uh, sometimes there could be spiritual wars between Onanyas and Yobas um, and it's essentially like a, a fight of love and hate really um, or you know good energy and bad energy and um, and this has been going on through the history of uh, of this tribe um, and they're still about to. They're still practicing in the dark, the dark arts, the dark energies. Is is uh, is that another name for what I've heard is called brujo? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A brujo uh, charlatan, essentially. Um, the Shipibo name for it is Yobe. So was that person physically outside, or or just spiritually outside the temple? Um, spiritually. So. Um, they they wasn't there there personally, but what they what what I had discovered is that there was um, 
at the temple we had an owl uh, that flew around and um, it was almost like a, a protection for the Ananyas but there would there would be a secondary owl that you could hear flying around um, and that was almost like the this spirit bird coming and it was a calling and it was checking us checking up on us almost um, and then all of a sudden you would start to have these uh, negative experiences it could be um, like once I was receiving an Icaro and I was feeling this immense amount of love and then all of a sudden it just disappeared and it was like well what what was that about and then it was I really couldn't um, get into the experience again um, some of the shamans would sing an Icaro and they were just stopping their tracks like they were being um, they were being gagged or something they would just go up and they would have to start again and it was just these, these constant uh, attacks on on people it wasn't it wasn't you know uh, uh, dangerous for anybody they they were protecting the space uh, it was a it was a well protected space so there was no long-term uh, effects of this it was it was just short-term things to create a negative experience during that ceremonial space um, but you were very sensitive to what they were doing so when that brujo was outside spiritually singing this dark Icaro, uh, did Mama Rosa like protect the space successfully? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, she, uh, what what they do is they um, they lay down at the beginning of the ceremony agua de florida, um, which is um, flower water uh, in English, and that protects the space um, initially. And what what I noticed that the shamans would do is if there was any um, spirits that would come um, and they were there was a lot of them or there was powerful, one would just protect the room and they would look after the whole space as opposed to individual uh, individual guests as such. Um, so they, they, they did protect the space very well. Uh, but as I said, I feel like that that only ever happened to me uh, these three times and I believe that that was because they knew half of the shamans weren't there at that time um, and people like Mama Rosa and uh, and other shamans are quite old now and sometimes can be ill um, and not really at the best of their ability because they've got certain illnesses that they have to they have to look after themselves for um, so I felt like they was capitalizing at a, a point where they knew that they could take advantage. Um, and they, the, these, these, Mama Rosa and their family, they, they say they know who these people are, you know, who's, who's doing it. Um, so it's, it seems like, um, an ongoing thing where the, it's like a good versus evil through the spiritual world. Do they sleep a lot? Because I've tried to catch them sleeping and, and I found it very difficult uh, if they sleep they don't sleep many hours um <laughs> now you say that I, I um I, I can't I can't really remember like I would catch they would they would nap definitely nap but long durations of sleep um I'm not too sure about because you know uh, say you start the ceremonies at 9 p.m um and you finish at one two generally um 
they would go up to their rooms, which was near the Maloka, and they would continue singing. You could still hear them singing Icaros. Um, and that could either be that they're healing each other, um, helping each other, or they're still trying to protect people in in the Maloka who are still going through their process. Uh, but they just do it up, up in their rooms. And then, so say they finished, God knows what time, three, four, sometimes five, and you could wake up at, 7 8 a.m for breakfast and they're nowhere to be seen <laughs> so now you mention it I, I don't remember them sleeping maybe maybe part of their uh dieting process of, of certain plants means that they don't need as much sleep as <laughs> as we do so this documentary is it is it, you're editing it now or so is it uh, is that all that's left yes yeah, so um i've just got back the translations, um, the final translations from the most recent part of filming. Uh, so a third of the documentary is in English, uh, a third is in is in Spanish, and then a third is in Shipibo, uh, which, which is their native language. And so I've just been waiting to get them translations back uh, because it has to go from Shipibo to Spanish, Spanish to English. Um, so now I'm finally getting a chance to really finish the documentary. Um, we're in the final stages um, of editing the content we have. Uh, I'm hoping to get one more interview from a leading um, ethnobotanical organization to talk about how how we as a global community can protect indigenous cultures, um, but also how these cultures can protect themselves because um, really that's what what I want to get out of this documentary is how we can all try to protect and cultivate these these cultures um, it's all good to protect them but they need they need to be provided for as well um, so I'm hoping to get that final interview um, done uh, but that you know that's just one interview that will take long to add in so hopefully the documentary will be finished uh, at the beginning of 2019 and uh, when do you think it will be released and and, and how will it be released uh, so my first approach will be to uh, release it to film festivals um, personally I'm not uh, I'm I'm not hugely experienced on um, distribution but I, I, I really want to uh, put it into film festivals and give the uh, Shipibo people a real platform on a global market to be um, identified as, as a culture that's essentially endangered um, and hopefully the right organizations and the right people will be able to provide them with the funding to enable them to create the educational programs that they want to build uh, for the younger generations to learn about the, the Shipibo culture. Um, so that really and truly, that's my focus, is to enable them to develop the educational programs that they want to do. Uh, so once the documentary is finished, I will take this to to people who have better knowledge uh, than me on how to get this to the right people, whether that's through... Um, online platforms such as Vimeo or video on demand um, such as Netflix or Amazon Prime um, 
and putting it through putting it through them them platforms or whether it's best to go through the route of uh, film festivals and t- tv uh, channels um i'll i'll see what the what the uh, distribution uh, companies for is the best route but definitely the, the initial stages will be to put it on put it out into the film festival market do you have a website or anything if people want to uh, keep track of this Yes, uh, the website is onanya.org. Uh, so that's O-N-A-N-Y-A.org. And the social media platforms are Onanya the Film. Um, we're currently doing a crowdfunding campaign as well to uh, help finish the documentary. Um, we're just trying to raise money to the, to develop the finish the final stages of post-production. Uh, such as music scoring and archive uh, pe- buying archive content, um, but really and truly, there's not much of that. So um, what we're trying to do is create some visual uh, animation to create a story of the history of the Shipibos um, through a visual that um, we can't really find through archive content. Um, so we're currently doing that on the Indiegogo platform. Um, and that will be going until the 21st of January. So anyone who wishes to donate, please uh, please donate to, towards that. Great. So so thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. No, thank you. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. So check out onanya.org. That's O-N-A-N-Y-A dot org. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash onanyadefilm or on Instagram it's also onanyadefilm. I'm personally looking forward to seeing this film because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Mama Rosa is a very important person in my life and uh, she guided me through many amazing ayahuasca ceremonies and she is a spectacular lady, in my opinion. I hope you uh, also go over to Indiegogo and look up Onanya the film there and donate if you have the possibility because we really need to get this film done Uh, because I think it's an important topic and I too want to save the Shipibo culture because it is a very beautiful and awesome culture. Do you want to support this podcast? Go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. If you become a patron, you'll be able to hear these episodes before everyone else, as well as access exclusive content. Join us at the round table of the Divine Mystery. Wow! So that's it for this episode. Nothing more to add, I think. Uh, Well... I could say that you could leave a nice review on iTunes uh, if you don't want to become a patron or become a patron and leave a nice review on iTunes. And you can also follow the podcast in social media, Born Alchemist or National Born Alchemist. Uh, if you search, ye shall find. But other than that, I don't think there's anything more to say. Uh, uh, excuse, <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Hello? Uh, yes? Oh, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah.
Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, bye. Uh, bye. <coughs> okay, uh, we are going to have a special news report right now. This is NBA News. PewDiePie has been the most subscribed channel on YouTube, with soon 80 million subs. But T-Series, a crappy channel if I must say so, is about to take over. So everyone needs to chip in and make sure PewDiePie is not dethroned. Head over to your YouTube account and make sure you subscribe to PewDiePie. We cannot let T-Series win. Here is Felix himself with the call to arms song Bitch Lasagna. Next Sunday we are going to go tribal, so stay tuned for that. Rock out to the song, subscribe to PewDiePie, and freedom is in the mind. I don't like your T-Series. Nothing personal, kid. But I must go all out. Just this once. Bob's or Vagana, whichever will it be Set the fuck down, T-Series, I'm here to spill the real tea You're trying to dethrone me from spot on number one But you in the air, you lose, so best think you haven't won When I'm through with you, we're gonna be completely fucking done Cause we only just begun, I review you, zero vibe is gone So come on, T-Series, looking hungry for some drama Here, let me serve you, bitch lasagna Bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna T-Series ain't nothing but a bitch lasagna Bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna Look at T-Series, they just crying for their mama Bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna T-Series ain't nothing but a bitch lasagna Bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna T-Series just wet themselves in their pajamas So who the hell is Bob and why you wanna kiss him? Ew. I'm a blue-eyed white dragon while you're just dark magician Oof. Got a fifth of the population in your nation But I got 90 rolls of world to hold your defecation Oops, Multipotlo, what the fuck is that even supposed to mean? Your language sounds like it come from a mumbo rap community No papa, no papa, yes papa, Johnny Now down all of the sugar and let's throw this fucking party With some bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna Look at these series, they just crying for their mama Bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna T-Series ain't nothing but a bitch lasagna Bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna Look at T-Series, they just wet in their pajama Bitch lasagna, bitch lasagna T-Series ain't nothing but a bitch lasagna You got 